Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Diego Sayes Jill, founder and CEO of Pachama. In the last year, we've seen the terrible headlines, right? Thousands and thousands of acres of forest burned down to ashes. And there's quite a few reasons why this is happening. It's everything from palm oil production to knocking down forests for new farmland. And this is a big problem because trees are one of the planet's great carbon sinks, right? They capture an immense amount of carbon dioxide. Not to mention, they house an incredible amount of biodiversity. And Pachama is on a mission to solve this. Pachama is a marketplace that allows companies to fund forest preservation and restoration projects. And in the episode, Diego and I will discuss what the Eureka moment was and how we arrived at Pachama, raising over $4 million from some of the biggest name investors in industry, what it's going to take for Pachama to be a profitable business, and what it could mean for the planet if Pachama succeeds. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our interview with Diego Sayes Jill, founder and CEO of Pachama. Diego, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Diego, let's start with the basics. What is Pachama? Sure. Pachama is a platform that allows companies to offset their carbon emissions by supporting projects that are protecting and restoring the forest from around the world. And what's unique about our approach is that we use remote sensing and artificial intelligence to basically monitor those forests and verify that they are doing what they're supposed to do. And in doing so, bringing more transparency, more accountability, and frankly, being able to scale up these efforts so that in the next few decades, we can have millions of hectares of forest restored that capture carbon from the atmosphere and are one of the most important solutions to climate change. I want to rewind just a second because... I was actually listening to an interview you did with Y Combinator earlier, either last week or this week, and your background is so interesting. So if you can, help us connect the dots. How did we actually get to the start of Pachama? Yeah, for sure. So I am originally from Argentina, from a place called Tucumán in the north of Argentina, which happens to be a place with a lot of rainforest called Jungas where my grandparents had uh, homes. So every summer I'll spend there running uh, around the forest. So I had this deep connection with nature since I was a little kid. But somehow I departed from that connection at some point in my life when I left Argentina to do my master's in Europe and started working for a big consulting firm. That journey then led me to New York City where I decided to become a tech entrepreneur started a first startup that was trying to help young travelers book budget accommodations on their phone, which is what I needed at the time as I was a backpacker. Then I started a second company making smart suitcases that you could track with your phone. Um, That company also grew a lot. I learned a lot about how to build companies, how to recruit teams, how to raise capital, how to ship innovative technologies into the markets. In the sabbatical time that I had after the last company, I had this time to really think what I wanted to do next, where I wanted to put my efforts. And climate change was my biggest concern and the way that we are treating the planet. You know, what is the point of building any other 
solutions for uh, smaller problems in the world if we're not going to have a planet. That was, you know, my thinking at the time. I happened to go and visit the Amazon rainforest with my brothers at the time. And that gave me uh, a lot of, it, it reconnected me with nature, but it gave me uh, a lot of appreciation for the service that forests provide to the environment, capturing uh, tens of gigatons of carbon every year. So with that, I started thinking what I could do with my previous experience building technology startups. And that's how researching a lot, I came to discover the potential that uh, forest conservation and restoration had to remove carbon from the atmosphere. And we can talk about these numbers. And then I started researching how technology, in this case, artificial intelligence and satellites and the internet could play a role at unlocking this solution and partner with my friend Tomas, who's a machine learning engineer, brilliant guy who was also thinking about climate change. We decided to form this company and start working on this problem. Man, I mean, what an interesting story. You start with booking, then you go to smart suitcases, right? So physical products that are retrofit with intelligence. And then you settle on one of the predominant opportunities and challenges of this generation, which is climate. And I just want to highlight that because, you know, for there's a lot of listeners that at least dream about starting their own thing. And your story is a testament to the fact that most founder stories are non-traditional. It's not someone going to business school, going through a formal systematic business creation process and then starting up. I mean, it's a really zigzaggy, non-traditional path t- typically. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, the, the things that I learned with my previous experiences is that Sometimes you don't need to be an expert at the beginning of tackling a problem. You become an expert afterwards because you read a lot, you talk to a lot of experts. But coming sometimes even with a naive point of view can also help you see things that maybe people that have been in this world for many years are not seeing. In this case in particular, the carbon markets had been around for many years And we just came with a lot of questions. Hey, why don't we use these technologies, right? I think one of the things that that entrepreneurs play a role in is bridging worlds, right? So what we're doing is we're bridging Silicon Valley that develops all these machine learning techniques in the recent years with the world of geospatial technologies, you know, satellites with the world of carbon markets. And we are uniting the dots and putting the pieces together to unlock a solution. So sometimes moving around, zigzagging around different worlds help you have these different perspectives that then allow you to bring innovative views to a problem. Wow. So before we get into the how-tos of Pachama, I want to provide a little bit more context. Can you explain why reforestation is such an important solution within the greater scope of climate solutions and how exactly Pachama serves that mission. Absolutely. So I like to say that there is a technology that has been under development for 3.5 billion years called photosynthesis, right? This technology is really good at converting Uh, CO2 into biomass and oxygen. 
and plants have been doing it for all this time in planet Earth, basically keeping the carbon cycle stable and stabilizing temperature in the planet. Gaia theory uh, describes how the planet tends to rebalance its temperature to allow for the conditions for life to be maintained. So forests play an incredible role because forests are the ecosystems in which trees can grow and capture all that carbon. And the problem today is that not only we are not reforesting at scale, which would be a very important solution to climate change, we are actually deforesting at scale. We are still clearing out the Amazon rainforest, Indonesia's rainforest, the Borneo a rainforest has been there for millions of years. It drives me crazy, but we're doing that to put cattle ranching to make burgers. Doesn't make any sense. In the meantime, we are we continue putting CO2 into the atmosphere, causing one of the biggest warmings of the planet in the last millions of years. We used to have twice as much forest as we have today. Uh, it's estimated that we, we clear out half of the forest that used to cover planet Earth before the rise of civilization. But today, even with agriculture that covers a big part of the land, we can still restore a billion hectares of forest where, according to this paper, a trillion trees can be planted, which could capture over 200 gigatons of carbon. Not CO2, but carbon from the atmosphere, which some people estimate is, uh, or you know, some scientists estimate that that's two-thirds of the CO2 that we put in the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution. So we're talking about a very meaningful solution. Of course, that takes time for this forest to capture all that CO2. But we're talking about a very scalable solution to, to climate change. And one final point that I want to make about forest is that we should protect and restore the forest because it's right, beyond carbon, because forests are the holders of biodiversity in the planet. It's a home of million of species of wildlife. They maintain the water flows of the planet. If we take down the Amazon rainforest, that might desertify Africa because the Amazon forms clouds that then distributes water to other ecosystems. So, you know, I, I am the follower of a philosophy called deep ecology, which is that we should protect ecosystems because, because that's life on planet Earth. And that's something that our ancestors in America, the indigenous people of Americas, knew very well that we are part of nature and we should protect nature just because. But it also happens that it's the biggest solution to climate change. So that's why forest. And if we look at the role that Pachama plays within this greater ecosystem, how exactly does Pachama enable reforestation at scale? Yes. So there is this framework called the carbon markets. That is an idea that has been proposed by the United Nations first on the Kyoto Agreement, which was the predecessor to the Paris Agreement, that basically proposes that the polluters should take responsibility for the carbon they put in the atmosphere and should compensate those emissions by supporting projects that either reduce emissions or recapture carbon from the atmosphere. The focus more recently has been put on carbon removal. Uh, today, you know, yes, we had to reduce emissions, but that's happening as a result of renewable energies becoming cheaper and more efficient. So we should 
try to drive more funding from carbon markets to carbon removal. Carbon removal today, as I said, the most effective way is for forest, reforestation and forest conservation. But the problem is that historically it's been very difficult to measure and monitor forest projects. Today, the protocols require sending people to audit the field, which is a good way to measure the forest, but it's not scalable. And also, it's not something that you can do on a frequent basis. Until today, the forest projects were audited every five years. And in the meantime, today we have hundreds of satellites scanning the planet, uh, producing high-frequency, high-definition images of the forest of the planet. We have LIDAR, which is a technology that allows for three-dimensional scans of the forest that allows us to know the shape of a forest. And we have machine learning, which is a technique that allows an algorithm to learn, to analyze an image. Uh, uh, computer vision is a, is a whole field that has made a lot of progress. It's what allows Facebook to know that your face is your face in a picture. And all these technologies can come together to improve the way that we verify and monitor the carbon capture of a forest. So what Pachama does is harness all these technologies to be able to bring more efficiency, transparency, and accountability to the forest carbon projects. And in doing so, have more companies support this type of projects. So in addition to all these tools that we're building to monitor the forest, we're also building a marketplace kind of platform in which companies can come, can browse different forest projects from around the world, all of which have been validated by our technologies, and then they can support these projects through our platform. And we make sure that the money goes to the right projects and we keep the projects accountable by monitoring their work with satellite. And we, we just closed one of our first big customers. The hope is that more and more companies can participate, compensating their carbon emissions by supporting reforestation. What goes in to... A, saying, yep, this is a project that meets our criteria. Like, what does that criteria consist of? And then two, how do you verify on a consistent basis that the funds being collected are then being deployed appropriately? So there are a set of uh, criteria that have to be evaluated for a project to be good. First, the project has to be additional. Additionality means that if this project didn't receive funding from carbon credits, then the project wouldn't have captured that carbon. That means that, for example, you cannot give carbon credits to Yosemite National Park because Yosemite National Park is already protected. They are not cutting down the trees there, right? Whereas in the Amazon rainforest, they are cutting down the trees. But you have to have a methodology by which you estimate what is the baseline of what is the deforestation rate of the place so that you can determine what is the additional carbon that the forest would capture by being protected with this funding. In the case of reforestation, additionality is very easy because you are planting new trees. Those trees are capturing additional carbon that wasn't going to be captured had not this project happened. But with avoidance of deforestation, you need to be able to analyze that. And the same for improved forest management, which is another type of uh, project. So that's one criteria. Another criteria is how likely is this carbon going to stay there? You know, what is the risk of fire? What is the risk of 
reversals, both natural and, and human-led reversals. You need to very uh, precisely be able to determine uh, what is the volume of carbon, what is the storage of carbon. And those are the kind of things that we can do by observing satellite images. We can see the, the canopy coverage. We can estimate the carbon storage. We can see deforestation patterns. We can basically you know, start looking at what is business as usual from a data perspective. What I want to dive into here a little bit more is the business model because all of this is really interesting and promising, but without making the business self-sustaining, it'll be short-lived. So I, I saw in uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a big press release around a, a $4 million fundraising round from some of the best investors, right? Y Combinator, Paul Graham, Justin Kahn, Chris Saka. So talk through how does Pachama make money? What's the business model? How does this become a venture backable type business? Yeah, totally. And I got to say that I put a lot of thought into that at the beginning of the ideation of the company because, you know, in fact, at some point I thought, well, maybe I'm going to start a nonprofit organization. But then I realized, look, Silicon Valley has developed this playbook to make solutions that scale so quickly and have this global impact. Look at Airbnb and Uber and how many other companies that are, are changing the world, right? So why don't you use that playbook to solve climate change? Because if we go on the route of a nonprofit, we might not get there, right? We, we need the scalability um, of this type of projects. So in terms of business model, I mean, we are, if you want, an Airbnb for the forest, right? We are a platform with a supply side and a demand side. We facilitate the transaction. We give transparency and verification and we facilitate payments the same as Airbnb does, you know, for renting an apartment. And we take a commission the same way that Airbnb takes a commission. So that makes the business model very straightforward, very scalable, very aligned with all the parties. And the moonshot here is that if the planet is going to uh, wake up to the urgent need to solve climate change, then in the next few decades, hundreds of billions of dollars and perhaps trillions of dollars should go to the right solutions to climate change coming from corporations, governments, and even consumers. And if that's the case, we will need in the other side, you know, all the reforestation and forest conservation that we can get in uh, that time. And if we can help transfer that capital efficiently and effectively being the platform that brings that uh, transparency, then we can capture commissions on those transactions and therefore build a very profitable company and doing so, you know, make this solution happen. Wow. I've seen a couple ideas pop up. We actually had Paul over from Nori on the show weeks ago. We just spoke to IATP, which is a nonprofit organization that works on not reforestation projects, but other types of carbon removal projects. I've heard of REN. Amazing. But my concern and I think you guys are thinking about it the right way. I think it's going to be a while before companies build a consumer-facing solution that actually resonates with the mainstream because it's, it's obviously quite easy to say, yes, this product um, should exist and I would definitely use it. But I still find it tough to believe 
that consumers are willing to spend more to offset. I think the way that you're doing it, starting with enterprise, and as you're proving, by working with, I mean, quite literally one of the most preeminent brands in the world, enterprise is the wedge in. That's where it has to start. And I think that consumers should vote with their dollars by supporting the companies that are doing the right thing in terms of climate change, right? We should buy the brands that are carbon neutral. We should move towards things that are decarbonizing the economy, right? You know, buy electric cars and become vegetarian and do all these changes in our consumer behavior that incentivize companies to do the right thing. Because you're right, companies have so much more leverage, so much more economic power. The balance sheet of the companies of Silicon Valley, the cash they have in the bank, could have so much impact. There is a slogan that I am pushing forward that I hope it gets to Jeff Bezos, which is Amazon can save the Amazon, right? With a portion of what Amazon, the company, can save Amazon the forest. And what I mean by that is that with a small percentage of the money that Amazon has in the bank, we could protect large portions of the Amazon rainforest and meaningfully contribute to tackling climate change. And more generally, what I mean is that corporations have a very important role, and we hope that we can help them make those pledges. Because one of my insights is that companies, as Yuval Harari says in the book Sapiens, companies don't exist. Companies only exist in the collective imagination of the people that collaborate around a mission or an idea. So companies are made of human beings that want a better planet for their children. Those companies, those people that form those companies want to do the right thing. So we just have to make it easier for them to do the right thing, which is to compensate their emissions, to take responsibility for their activities, and to send money to the projects that actually are gonna solve it, which is in this case, reforestation and forest conservation projects, which is not the only solution, but it's a solution that we decide to focus. To what extent can Pachama help Amazon save the Amazon today? Well, as I said, we are uh, monitoring the Amazon rainforest with satellite images. We know where deforestation is happening. We know where projects should be started right now to uh, stop that deforestation. Deforestation in the Amazon is happening because people need an income. The president of Brazil, who you know doesn't care too much about the environment, he resonated with the Brazilian voters because they need an income. They want to go out of poverty. And I'm from Argentina. I can relate. Yes, our countries also want an income, right? Now, we need to provide an alternative to uh, the activities that generate an income by destroying the forest. So they are cutting down the Amazon rainforest, again, to do agriculture or cattle ranching. But if we pay them to not cut down the trees, they're going to be happy, right? So that's what these carbon offset frameworks do. They give an income and tools for indigenous communities, for landowners and for governments to do the enforcement of protecting the forest. This might sound naive, but do you need municipal or local government approval around areas that are zoned for reforestation? It depends on each jurisdiction. Yeah, in places like South America, there are lands that are 
public lands and, and yet they receive illegal deforestation from people and therefore the governments, the municipalities or the counties need to get involved and they are part of these frameworks like Red Plus to protect the forest. And in the U.S., there are zoning for where you can do timber harvesting and where you cannot. And, you know, areas where you can do timber harvesting, the focus should be on managing those forests more sustainably, not cutting down all growth forest and making sure that you let uh, trees grow bigger. We also need wood and timber is not bad, but we have to make sure that we are not just focused on, you know, economic efficiency of those tree plantations, but also on the carbon capture potential. Mm -hmm. What geographies are the biggest opportunities and or focus points for Pachama today? We are focused on the Americas because that's where we started with good data, data collection. In North America, we have excellent data. In South America, we are rapidly collecting data and processing the data with our systems. And in the U.S., we have several projects already, and we plan to continue expanding in the U.S. And then in South America, we are focused on Brazil and Peru at the moment, but also talking with some projects in Colombia and Uruguay, Argentina as well. I just came back from visiting an incredible reforestation project in Argentina near where I'm from, a group that is planting native trees in the middle of a rainforest, which is not an easy task. They had to open up the bushes to plant these big trees to restore a forest that had, it was a lot higher before. But then humans took down the big trees and the, the forest became a lot shorter. So they're trying to restore the original shape of that rainforest. So yeah, the Americas, but eventually we hope to be able to expand to Asia, Africa, Europe, Russia, you know, there's so much potential on all types of forest. Of, of course, tropical forests are the ones that capture more carbon and, you know, hold more biodiversity, but, but you can plant trees everywhere. It's so interesting. Is there a person or is, they, is there a team that is explicitly focused on, uh, quote unquote, door knocking, like going to landowners across the U.S. and saying, hey, you know, we're from Pachama. You can make some extra money by letting us grow trees on your property. Right. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the way we're going to do it. Well, we have in our board and our lead investor is Ryan Graves, who built Uber. And he did that with Uber. They deployed Uber around the world by opening new cities, right? They will launch Mexico City and then New York City, then London, then, you know, Buenos Aires, then Paris. And with local teams, local GMs. So maybe there is a playbook like that. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit to the broader regulatory landscape. Sure. In the interview you just did with uh, Y Combinator, Gustan, and you talked Craig. a yeah. little bit about some really exciting developments in uh, international governments and some of the some of the pressures that they're putting on particularly carbon intensive industries to change their habits or they're going to have to offset them and they're going to have to pay for them. Can you speak a little bit about a couple of those developments? You know, which, which ones are you most excited about and why? Yeah. So the, the most exciting thing is the Paris Agreement. I think that we haven't yet fully grasped the meaning that it has that most of the countries of the planet came together and signed an agreement 
to cap and reduce and compensate emissions around the world. And regardless of Trump being re-elected and uh, making the U.S. leave the Paris Agreement, I know the U.S. will return. The next president will return to the Paris Agreement because this is a one-way journey once the planet has realized that something has to be done. And as part of the commitments towards the Paris Agreement, countries basically have to go down and make regulations to force their main polluters or incentivize their main polluters to reduce emissions. And that means that in many countries, there are regulations being implemented to carbon tax initiatives in which there's going to be a tax that polluters will have to pay. That money will go to carbon removal or to carbon offsetting. Sometimes there are cap and trade markets. There are different compliance frameworks by which companies have to compensate their carbon emissions. In Europe, of course, this is way more advanced. The Nordics are doing great things on the regulatory side. New Zealand has shown a great leadership more recently with a president that is you know, very committed to climate change. Canada has a framework. In the US, it goes by state. And California has also been a very innovative and a leading state on on that, we have here in California uh, a carbon market, a compliance carbon market. Utilities have to comply, you know, by, by uh, supporting carbon offset projects. So, yes, I mean, we hope to see more of this type of regulations. And then in, in, in the developing world, the regulations have to go on the direction of protecting forests, protecting forests that will help those countries also achieve their, their commitments towards the Paris Agreement. And same with, I heard you saying something about airlines. Yes, the airlines is a semi-compliance market. All the airlines came together in in forming a framework called Corsia. And Corsia is basically, because you know the problem with airlines is that they don't, they fly all over the world. So you cannot regulate them nationally. It has to be globally. So over 80 countries signed this, this agreement for Corsia. And that means that starting in 2021, airlines will have to offset a part of their emissions with certain type of carbon credits. And, and yeah, that's going to be great because airlines are one of the biggest polluters. And because unfortunately, we still don't have electric airplanes. So we have to keep flying, burning fossil fuels for some time. And I think you're already seeing this. I I, I remember if it was either on Skyscanner or one of the flight, maybe if it was even Delta or United. There's an option now to offset your travel so you can see that the airlines are already trying to create a behavior that says, hey, I mean, maybe if this is going to be a requirement for us, maybe we can pass this on to our consumers. Yeah, and many people are. Many people are. We just, you know, uh, airlines just have to make it easier and, and just have to. And we're in conversation with several airlines, especially the most innovative and tech savvy. We are in conversations with them and we hope to help them you know, reforest the planet, you know, how cool would it be that every flight that you take is actually helping plant trees? So, Diego, before we part ways, uh, I want to ask one more question. It's what are you most excited about within the context of Pachama over the next few years? The most thing, what I'm excited the most is the ability that we will have to analyze different ecosystems with all this remote sensing data. Imagine when we have Spaceship Earth dashboard in which we can 
basically play around with future scenarios of, okay, what happens if we reforest this part? What happens if we do this type of agriculture here? And start being true stewards of planet Earth based on data, putting technology at the service of managing the planet well. I think that's what an advanced civilization would do. And what we are excited about is that we can help build a piece of that. Wow. Diego, I, I always do this with our guests, and I'm ex- especially excited to, to do it for you. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, announcements? I'm going to roll the red carpet. Feel free to <laughs> say whatever you want. Sure. Yes, we are looking for talented people that want to work on this mission. We are looking for software engineers. We are looking for operations people, business development people. We're still keeping the team small, but this year we will do some key hires. And in the coming years, for sure, we will grow our team. I am incredibly proud of the team that we're building here. Everyone is just wonderful, you know, very passionate, very talented, just humble, beautiful people. So if anybody wants to join our team, uh, please reach out. We might not be able to hire you right away because, again, we're, we're, we're going slowly on growing the team, but do reach out. And then, you know, a general call is we all have a role to play. Find what is your talent, what is your unique gift, and put it at the service of protecting and restoring our planet, the only home we have. And also, let's change our behavior. Let's try to live a lifestyle that is more aligned with nature. That is my final message. Diego, thank you so much. Seriously, I appreciate you hanging out with me this late. I know you've been going at it all day. So thank you again. Thank you for for educating us and giving us inspiration. We'll have to do this again. Thank you so much. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Keep it up. (laughs) Thank you, Diego. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at InGoodHands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday. <laughs>